0: I'm going to wrap up our teaching, our summer teaching about prayer by pointing everyone to four things to ask God for when you pray for other people. Uh, When you speak to God about friends or parents, uh, when you pray for your children or your spouse, When you pray for the people that you know here at church or in your small group or in the ministry team that you're a part of, what should you be asking God for? What should you ask for God to give them when you pray for them? Without raising that question, chances are our prayers for the people that we know will become pretty narrow. In my experience, there are really two things that we chiefly pray for when we pray for others. Tell me if this fits your own experience. We pray either for their physical well-being or for their emotional well-being. Now, neither of those are bad to pray for. In fact, they're very good to pray for. But what I want you to see this morning is that there are many other very good things to ask God to give to the people that you are lifting up in prayer. And when people who are following Jesus or working at following Jesus begin to add these kinds of requests to their prayers, well, then God does remarkable and beautiful things, things that are unexpected, and have magnificent consequences. When I finished college, it was the first summer where I began to face decisions which I actually asked God to help me make rather than just deciding on my own. I don't know if you were like this, up until that point in my life, whenever I came to a fork in the road, I looked both ways. I used the brain that God had given me and I thought about which one seemed best and whatever I reasoned, that's where I went. Anyone else like that? That summer was the first time I began in earnest to say, God, help me know which way to go. Uh, Through a, a remarkable set of circumstances, I ended up deciding not to go on in physics, off to graduate school, but instead to go to Philadelphia where I would live in the city in southwest Philly and serve as a ministry intern for one year, working with eighth grade students at a Christian school in the city. I decided to do this because my prayers had led me to the place where I believed that's what God wanted. Now, when I made that decision, I didn't tell lots of people about it, but there was one man who came to mind. His name is Joe, and I'd known him since I was in middle school because he was the middle school uh, youth pastor at the church where I went. And for some reason, I wanted to tell him about my decision. I think it's because I knew all the misery I caused him as a rambunctious (laughs) middle school student. And I thought this would be some consolation. So I called my friend and I asked him if if we could meet at Dunkin' Donuts. I wanted to share something special with him. Uh, We sat down, we did small talk for as long as I could hold my excitement in. And then I blurted out, Joe, I have something really exciting to tell you. Uh, I'd been praying all summer about what to do next with my life. Now, when I said that, I could see that his uh, ears really perked up. Joe, uh, I had this one plan, but I'd been seeking God's way for me. He looked surprised. And, and Joe, I, I finally come upon it that the best thing for me to do is to give a year of my life to serve others. And in fact, I've discovered an opportunity to actually do Ministry, get that, ministry in Philadelphia for one year. I'm going to leave at the end of this summer and go work with middle school students and do ministry with them. As soon as I finished talking, he burst into laughter. (laughs) You know that saying, I'm not, laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. It felt an awful lot like he was laughing at me. I wasn't laughing. He was laughing. People in the donut shop were looking at us. He laughed and laughed. And then when he finally settled down, he looked right at me and he said, Christian, I have been praying for this day for 10 years now. The first day I met you, I knew God had given you gifts for ministry. And my prayer had been that you would discover the path that God has given you. Thank God." And then he smiled. Listen, now it's not done yet. He then smiled and he said, I'm so glad it's with middle school students. (laughs) There's a reason why my friend Joe prayed like that for me rather than just always asking that I would be healthy and happy. And it's because, this is why, it's because the pattern for how Joe would pray was shaped by what he had discovered in the patterns of prayer that are evident in the New Testament. Uh, Let me make it plain. My friend Joe had spent a lot of time reading through the letters in the New Testament that were written by the Apostle Paul. And if you don't know who that is or what those letters are, it is very easy for any person to pick up the Bible and read through them. And of course, if you do, like my friend Joe did, you'll find things that are confusing. But one other thing that anyone who reads through these letters will discover is that there, the Apostle Paul talks an awful lot about how he prays for the people that he knows. Now, Paul's story is is important. He was an ordinary man who had a deep and abiding love for God He grew up in the Jewish community. He didn't know anything about Jesus until he heard about Jesus. And then he began to fight against Jesus until he had an encounter with Jesus that literally knocked him down. And having that experience of Jesus, well, it changed everything for him. His life became altogether different after encountering Jesus. Some of you in this room can say, like Paul did, I once was blind, but now I see. I was going in this way, but now in this other way. I had this one sense of who I am, but when I met Jesus, it turned my identity altogether around. And now the most important thing about me is I know I'm loved by Jesus. I used to have that purpose, but after meeting Jesus, I now have a new purpose altogether. I used to think that these were the things that mattered, but then I met Jesus, and now all these other things matter. That's what happened with Paul. He had an encounter with Jesus. It changed his identity, his sense of purpose in life, his sense of value, what mattered most. Everything turned around for him. Some of you have that experience? Now, what went along with that experience for Paul is that the moment he had that encounter, what he wanted is for everyone else he knew also to have that same experience. And I'll tell you this anyone who really has an encounter with Jesus is going to be turned into the kind of person who wants the other people that they know to also have that experience. And so what Paul did is he used every gift that he had to increase the likelihood that others would also have a a revolution in their identity so that others would know what God wanted from them rather than being confused all their lives long so that others would have a change in character so they became more like God so that others would succeed in the work that God had called them to. And Paul, I would say, used two things principally to make this happen. One is he wrote truths in the Bible that teach us. And I go on a lot about what Paul wrote. I often will stand before you and I will teach you from what he taught, but that's only one thing which Paul did. The other thing he did is he prayed for the changes that had happened to him to happen to others. And, and what my friend Joe did is, is he spent his time reading through Paul's letters and noting how Paul prayed, and then he let that shape his pattern of praying for me and for other people. And this is what I want. It's very simple. With this last message in the series on prayer, what I want is to show you four of the patterns that Paul used, and here's what I'm hoping for. Let's say there's roughly 200 of you here this morning. It is that every one of you here will have in mind one person for each of the four things that I show you. So because of this service, 800 different people will be prayed for. That'd be great. You're thinking, well, what about me? Will someone pray for me? Stop thinking about yourself all the time. Uh, It's fair enough for the person next to you to use you as one of their four. But, But this is it. It's very practical. My own experience says this. Paul's practice demonstrates it. And what the Bible teaches makes it plain that when we ask God for good things, for things beyond happiness and health, which are good themselves, but for other good things, well, then God's faithful. So, so let's, let's look at the first of four excerpts from Paul's prayer to discover how, when he said this, when he said, I pray that you will, how he filled that in. Okay, the first of our four will come from the book of Ephesians, a very small letter to which uh, Paul, uh, w- w- which was written to a community that Paul knew and loved that was filled with people that he wanted to see growing. And here's the first uh, way he prayed uh, that will teach us. This is Ephesians chapter three, and this is verse 18, just part of his prayer. This is my prayer. Okay, here's what he says. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth And length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The first thing in terms of logical priority that we ought to pray for the people around us is that they will feel God's love. And I want to put that up there. This is the first one in terms of priority. For this reason, there is nothing more important for any person on the road of life than that they would have a deep down conviction that they would be convinced of, that there would be no doubt of the truth that when God looks at them, he loves them. That's the most important thing because every good thing that you can ask for comes after for each and every person that you care about, a deep and abiding awareness that God loves me and this I know with all my heart. There are many other Good things that you will want for people. You will want them to be healthy and you will want them to be happy. You will want anxiety to go away. You will want confidence and courage to arise in them. You want them to grow in patience and you will want them to be generous. You want them to be thoughtful and successful in every good endeavor in work. You will want them to dance like no one's looking. All of the good things, I, I couldn't help it. <laughs> All of the good things that you can want for them come second to this that they would feel. God's love. Look again at the way Paul prays for it. This is remarkable. What he asks for in particular, it's there, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Greek philologists refer to this kind of phrase as an oxymoron. Because what Paul's asking for is that they would know something that Surpasses knowledge, which means that they would have knowledge of something which cannot be known. Why can't it be known? Because it's too high and it's too deep, it's too wide and it's too long to be grasped by the human mind. It's just beyond comprehension. It's so vast, it's so expansive, it cannot be held together. What is it which is so big that it can never be known? Why? It's Christ's love. And because it's beyond knowing, Paul prays for a miracle for everyone he thinks of, and the miracle is that they would feel God's love. Love And now I want you to think of that person that God has put on your heart to pray for. And maybe it's a child who's wayward. Maybe it's a, a parent whose uh, old age has turned them bitter and you can't break through that hard shell to, to help them. Uh, maybe it's a coworker who's such a miserable crank. Whatever it is, think of that person in your mind right now and, and would you, even now, offer this little prayer. I pray that whoever it is would feel God's love. Maybe there's a voice tempting you right now. Well, God doesn't love that person. They're too awful. Here, let me remind you of the center of the Christian faith. While we were yet sinners, God proved his love for us that Christ died for us, for all. He died for the sins of the whole world. Whoever it is that's in your mind now, would you pray that they would feel God's love? And then the next time that you think of them, and you wish that their circumstances would change, pray first that their heart would know that God loves them and they'd feel it. And I know this is real. This is not speculative. For some in here, you have people in your life who you want so desperately to feel God's love. Keep asking for it. Uh, This is the first one, not because Paul prays about it more often or first chronologically, but because logically speaking, it's what everything else flows out of. If you're thinking right now, oh, I I will pray for someone else. I wish only that I could know it. Nudge the person next to you and say, would you pray that I would feel God's love? And I'm not joking because sometimes that's the hardest thing for people to feel. I'll pray for you. If you're not next to somebody, I got you. All right, that's the first one. Uh, Let's go on to a second one. Uh, in in the very next book in the New Testament, which is Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, again, Paul is describing how he prays. Uh, We'll see here a prayer which follows logically upon the first. Remember, the first is to pray that they would feel God's love. If we look at Philippians 1, And we start in verse 9. Here's what we read about his prayer there. And this is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best. I hear Paul begins with love. And his prayer is that not only would they know a little bit of God's love, but rather his love would be like liquid poured into them which would go so high up in them that it would begin to flow out of them. So it would be like a cup which is filled to overflowing and then is continued Uh, to be filled so that love is spilling out everywhere and this love, this overabundance of love is meant to have a goal for the Christian. Not only that they would sit there feeling so great because God loved them, but rather this love would overflow and give them insight and knowledge. And insight and knowledge to a particular end so that they would be able to know what is right Here, Paul is praying that they would know God's will. It is one thing to know that God loves you. And when any person begins to grow in an awareness of God's love for them, every time the same thing happens, and I promise you, this is what happens. The moment you know God loves you, the next question out of your mouth is, what can I do for him? Uh, Not what else can he give to me? But rather, what can I do now for this God who loves me even though I don't deserve it? Haven't you ever felt so loved by God that you want to go and do something good for others? Yes? Okay, good, thank you. I, I, I couldn't tell if you were resting or what. But but when a person knows God's love, the next thing that needs to happen, look again here at this one phrase from his prayer in Philippians, is that they need knowledge and full insight to help them determine what is best. And, And beneath this prayer, there's a conviction. And you try this on for your own life. The conviction is that at every fork in the road that you will encounter, there is a way which is right and there's a way which is wrong. And at every one of those moments, what God wants is for you to discover the right one. And and, and what must be true first is that your sense of God's love for you is already there. There's no question. You know that God loves you, but now that you're standing there, you need God's help so that you can discover what is the right next step. Don't you have some decision right now that you just wish God would make it plain to you? Okay, good. Again, what I want you to do is to take your eyes off yourself and then think of someone else who might be in that position. And if you remain in that position, don't be shy to ask someone to pray just like Paul did here that you would be filled with love and that that would result in knowledge and full insight so you would know what is best. Let me be very practical. Where shall we live next? Which college Should I work at going to? How shall I respond to this very difficult teacher that I've got this year or these students? How should I respond? What should my career path be going forward? Should I go off to Pakistan and do ministry there? Should I get involved in middle school ministry here at Renaissance or high school ministry or... Should it be children's ministry? If Kristen were here right now, she'd be like, children's ministry, definitely. <laughs> Should I move to Italy and, and, and become an evangelist? Um, I don't know what it is for you, but this is what I implore you to do. Uh, first, think of someone else who's facing that kind of decision and then go to God in prayer and say, God, please let that person be filled with insight and wisdom for the decision that is before them. And if it's you that needs help here, listen, don't rob another disciple of the privilege of praying for you. Okay? If you're a youth group leader, or actually, if you're one of the adults who signed up for the Pray For Me campaign here at the church, how many people signed up for that? I think there's over 120 adults who have chosen to pray for high school students. Does it include middle school students too? No, too bad, middle school students. No prayer for you. (laughs) But for the high school students, (laughs) gosh, that's awful. Uh, This might be the way to pray for that student. I tell you right now, Joe Perillo prayed for me like that so that I would know what God wanted for me, and he did it for a decade before it finally dawned on me. All right, let's go to the third one. Uh, Now we're gonna move from the book of Philippians uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians. At the end of this letter... Paul uh, pieces together a very specific prayer for the people in Corinth, which I think sort of adds on to those first two, that they would know God's love is a great start, that then they would understand which way to go is a good second step. But as you may recall, Knowing is half the battle, right? Because if you know what to do, that's good. But what you need instead is the ability to do the good thing that you know. And here's the third prayer. Paul prays in 2 Corinthians, this is uh, chapter 13. uh, This is from verses seven to nine excerpts. We pray to God that you may not do anything wrong, that you may do what is right This is what we pray for, that you may become perfect. Uh, You may know this, that knowing the right thing to do doesn't always result in doing the right thing. If you are a person who's lived with the frustration of the difference between what your mind tells you to do and what your heart leads you to do on the other hand here's the prayer for you and beneath this prayer is also a deep conviction that all of us should be heartened by it is the conviction that knowing the right thing to do is never enough but instead what we require is the miraculous power of God to turn our knowledge into the kind of action that God wants from us because not only do we need someone praying for us to know God's will, but we also need someone who's praying for us to conform to God's character. And that process of having your character changed altogether Begins when you encounter Jesus, but it doesn't end until you are on the other side of the Jordan. And by that, I mean to allude to the fact that it's not until your life ends that you will end this change in your character to go from being the person that you were before you met Christ to becoming the person that you will one day be when you stand face to face in glory with him forever and all rejoicing. Between then and now, what you need is people lifting you up so that your character would conform to God's character. Let me tell you what I mean. You need to be more patient than you are today, don't you? And you need to be more generous than you were yesterday, tomorrow. I don't just mean with giving the stuff you have away, but with giving yourself away. You need to be more gracious, more thoughtful of other people. You need to be more kind and more long-suffering. You need to bear with the people around you more profoundly than you have. You need more courage. You need to be able to say, I've got this. You do. You need to be brave more than you are. And every one of these good things which God wants for you, every one of these, if you're standing at any fork in the road and you're wondering, should I be brave or a coward? Every time God's beckoning you toward the thing which fits his character, and the way to get there is with God's help. Now, some of you have been in church for a long time. You'll know the term sanctification. It's the process where God, through the power of his spirit, is making you more and more like Christ, more and more holy, who's drawing you forward to be the woman that God has created you to be and called you to be and rescued you to be. And now Paul thinks of all of those people who are gonna be stumbling and tripping up as they try to grow as God wants them to. And instead of telling them to get everything right, Instead of saying to them, work harder to walk on the right path, instead of threatening them with bad consequences if they don't get it right, you can see here plain as day what he does. He prays to God that God will help them get it right. I don't mean to be funny here, but think of a person in your life who's a major screw-up. They just can't get it right. Uh, Before you become judgmental toward them, when God looks at you, it's not much different from his perspective, but here's what you're gonna do. With that person in mind, pray that God will make it so they stop messing up all the time. Ask for it. Like Paul did for the folks in Corinth, ask that God will help them do nothing wrong, but instead get things right, even that they should grow to perfection. Ask for it. Listen, if while I'm saying this, you start thinking about things behind you that are different than you wish. Please trust me, you can't do anything about the past. Would you please set it down for now? And if you, your eyes go to you and you say, well, oh, but I'm in such a terrible place. Trust me, one of the best ways for you to grow away from the terrible place you're in is to look at someone else and ask God to help them. And so this is the third way that I'm encouraging you to pray. Do it now for someone in your mind as I'm quiet. Asking that they would grow. And, and, and conform to God's character. Okay, one last uh, prayer uh, from Paul. And by the way, there's many more than four ways he prays, and you are free to scour the New Testament and start enriching your own practice. But if we take the first three, uh, that is that a person would feel God's love and then begin to know God's will and conform to God's character, then this fourth kind of prayer is exactly what Paul would want for every individual. And now I want to address Renaissance Church, uh, what God would want for every church. And listen to how he prays in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you. Asking that our God will make you worthy of his call and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. Here, Paul is saying, I pray that you will succeed in God's work. What Paul did Every time he thought of a church, every single time, was first he prayed that they would be worthy of God's call, which means every single church has a call from God. And listen now, that means that Renaissance Church has a call from God. And I want you to know that the call that God has for our church is magnificent. It's not only for the people who are here, but rather it's for this world which God loves through the people that God has brought together here. That means if you're here, God Himself is inviting you, is is beckoning you, is drawing you forward to know His love, to know His will, to have a clear character that's growing in His way, so that you personally would be a part of this church as being worthy of its call, and then in turn succeeding in God's work. The work that God has for us is here called uh, every good resolve and every work of faith. Work of faith means the things that we do because of our trust in Jesus. If you would think for a moment of who Jesus is and our trust in his benevolence and his kindness and mercy. And then with that in mind, think of the place where God has placed us. Summit, New Jersey here right in the downtown of Summit. Or whatever town you live in, some of you live in Short Hills, some of you live in Chatham. Others of you live in New Providence, maybe you live in Springfield, maybe even further out than that. But wherever God has placed you, that is where God has placed Renaissance Church. And here when Paul thinks of the church that he writes to in Thessalonica, it teaches us that when any person of God thinks of this church right here, What they should know, first off, is that God's got a call for us. And secondly, that for us to succeed in God's good work, what is required is that we are asking God for it. And this is the fourth way to pray for each person you know. And let's start with the individual. You know someone who's finally got it in their mind that this is the thing that God wants for them to do. What you should do is pray that they would succeed. Not by their own power, but by God's power, which means if the thing they're after can only be completed with their power, they should fail, uh, because only um, that which God has called us to is God going to give His power. But but whoever you know who's on the path of trying to follow God into His work, you should pray that they would succeed. That means if you know people in this church who are doing music ministry. Uh, or who are helping out with the greeting, thank you, or with the ushering, or with the hospitality, or who uh, are helping the sound and the lights uh, work properly, or who are each week working with young people downstairs, or, or with high school or middle school students during the week, or who are leading in small groups, or in men's or m- women's ministry, we should be praying for them. That by God's power, they would succeed in their work. And then we should all add our hearts to the mission that God has given Renaissance In this season ahead, what we need is God's power so that we would succeed in every good work of faith which he has given us. Uh, Let that come into your mind now. Let the person come into your mind who who you think of when you think of God's work. Hold them there for a moment. Let's see all four of these. Uh, If you... Uh, roughly 200 of you. And let's say there's about the same number of folks in the next service, if the 400 of you. And then let's say we have 100 folks who will listen to this message online because they were too lazy to get out of bed. Shame on you if you're listening. (laughs) Was that a bad idea, Dave, to do that? Can you edit that out of the video and the audio? Okay, that's just our little secret, right? But if if we had 500 praying for these four, that's 2,000. Uh, 2,000 people who, uh, who are uh, going to have another person asking God to give them something good. And that's what I'm asking you for. I'm asking you to do that. But to think of one person who you, who's on your heart and ask that God would help them feel his love for them. That's number one. To ask for uh, God to help another person know just what he wants for them. And think of a real friend or a family member. Um, Thirdly, that God would help this other person help their character conform to God's desires for them. And then fourthly, that this other person would succeed in God's work. And by the way, that does not have to be just in a church. It can be at the office or wherever they are. God gives us work to do wherever we find ourselves. Let's choose to do that. And then with a lighthearted trust just count on God to make what he needs uh, to see happen, happen. Now let's pray together now. God, we really love you. And we love that you have set the world up in such a way that we can speak to you and trust that you are listening. We thank you that when we practice being quiet before you and opening our hearts to you that you speak to us through words through the scriptures through the things in our lives that show us who you are through simple signs of your presence God we thank you that when we open up like that that we can tell you exactly how we feel even when we're upset even when we're upset with you and you don't push us away Uh, but then when we acknowledge our need for you when we see our guilt that we can confess it to you and you take it away without any question because you're gracious and you love us God, we thank you that there are moments where we can ask you for good things and we can see the response that you give to us to build us up and encourage us to be a part of your service. We thank you even that when we ask for something and you say no, that you are faithful still and you'll carry us to the end. God, this morning we thank you especially for the example of Paul, who through his own prayers teaches us how to ask for good things for the people that you've put in our lives. God, we we thank you that it's simple to pray, that all we need to do is ask. We ask that today and in the days ahead, our prayers would be enriched by the time we spend here this morning so that we would ask you for these kinds of things for the people that you've made our paths cross with. Thank you for the people who have prayed for us in the past. And we thank you for the good things you'll do through the people that we are praying for this morning. May we have those experiences that my friend Joe had in the coffee shop, which make us laugh how good you are after all these years. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.